Talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Welcome to Dirty Kurt's Dugout. I'm Kurt Bavacqua, and come and have a seat on the pine with me. And in the dugout with me today, David Boomer Wells. We all know him as Boomer, 21-year major league player, probably, arguably, one of the best left-handed pitchers ever to play the game. Little treat for all of us, live from FanFest up in San Francisco, Bruce Bochy, the giant manager who will be in the Hall of Fame as soon as he retires, is going to talk to us about 2018 and what happened in 2017 with the San Francisco Giants where they only won 64 games. And we'll probably talk about some other stuff too. On the subject of collusion, also on the show today, Zach Zagger. He's a senior reporter, sports law, 360. He's an attorney. He's a journalist. He knows about collusion and he'll be with us. Dirty Kurtz dugout with David Boomer Wells. We've got uh, my former teammate, your former manager, waiting for us on hold up at FanFest in let's, San Francisco. Let's get him on the phone. Yeah, let's talk to Boach and see how he's doing. What's up there? Hey, Kurt. Uh, not much. You know, I just finished the uh, FanFest. So uh, to wrap that up, heading to Arizona here uh, tomorrow. So, you know, it's that time of year. You know, we're all set to go. Well, we certainly appreciate the call. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's good to talk with you guys. Uh, you know, I haven't heard from David Wells in uh, quite a while. He, he used to call me once in a while, but he, he kicked me to the curb. Well, because I never got a call back, so that's why I quit calling. <laughs> it's pretty simple math. So, so what's the real story here? You're not calling him or he's not calling he's you? He's just not calling back. Yeah, I think yeah, we're confused here. Actually, I was at the SCI uh, Safari Club in Las Vegas last week. I heard he was around, so I put on about ten miles walking around looking for him, but I, I never found him. So uh, the question is, David, were you there? I was there, but my phone still works. My number is still the same. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know why? I, I'm a dinosaur. I, I don't use a cell phone. Yeah. You know, Butch, he was he was bad mouthing you before we went on the air. I got to admit. <laughs> No, he should be. He should be. Uh, we, we used to get out and golf and uh, have some fun. And uh, I've been up here and uh, kind of, uh, you know, I've been separated from, uh, you know, so many friends down yeah, there. And so, David, I apologize if it's on me. No, no, it's all good. Hey, Boach, I got, I've got a guy coming on the show uh, in a little while by the name of Paul Spur. He's, a, he's actually an expert on uh, not only fantasy baseball, but also gambling. I know... We're not going to talk about gambling here, but Vegas just came out with the lines for the 2018 season. The reason I bring that up to you is that the Giants actually have the biggest differential on where they finished the 2017 season and where they're projected to finish in 2018. I, I know you're not going to comment on that, and I'm not asking you to. What I'm going to ask you right now is if the game was tomorrow, your opening day in San Francisco, what's your lineup going to be? Well, uh, I'll be honest. Uh, I don't exactly uh, have a set lineup right now. And the reason I'm on the fence is 
uh, Kurt, once, once I get the spring training, I'm going to sit down with the, uh, the guys uh, and, and really uh, figure out what I think is going to work best for us. Now, well, our options are leading off. I mean, we got McCutcheon, we got uh, Joe Panic, I got Pence. Uh, uh, those are kind of the three that I'm looking at leading off. But, you know, when you get uh, an Evan Longoria and uh, Andrew McCutcheon, these are two heart of the order guys. Uh, you know, they they were the faces of their franchise so they're run producers so you know i'm not sure if i want to go that route so i'm still working on that part of it but what i will say is those two will stretch out our lineup and uh, it'll be a little bit closer to what it used to look like when we were having tons of success and what i mean by that by that you know belton crawford uh you know they'll probably be in that six seven hole somewhere in that area but uh, i'd love to line up but as you know, it comes down to pitching. It's going to be important we throw the ball well. That's uh, the key to uh, success. I mean, if you look at the Marlins, they had a, a tremendous lineup, one of the best lineups of baseball last year, but they had a hard time winning because, uh, you know, they didn't pitch all that well. Well, they're not going to have one of the best lineups this year. I can promise you that. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, when, well, when you uh, talk they had some great players that uh, they did trade and uh, – uh, I mean, their outfield was unbelievable. Of course, uh, D. Gordon. I mean, had, across the the lineup. I mean, that, it was a scary lineup to get through. But you got to throw the ball well. That's that's what wins for he's pitching. That's that, that's been our recipe for success. But I will say, our offense it was anemic last year. We had no power. We had no punch. Uh, we had trouble getting the three to four runs a game like you need to do consistently to to win. And I think with with uh, our new additions, I think you'll see that. So we should uh, win more games. I, I counted the number of new gray hairs that you have after last year. It's uh, it's pretty bad. Yeah, I'm gonna right, I'm gonna I bring you some stuff. Between wait a minute, not just gray hairs. Uh, I mean, just throwing some stents, just throwing some uh, afibbing going on there. And, and do what so, I do. You don't have to uh, worry it, it about it. It takes a toll on you, but uh, I'm good now. I'm healthy, uh, healed up, ready to go. So it's going to make it a lot easier for your pitching staff having Longoria and McCutcheon in the lineup than it was last year. Oh, no question. It's got to send them a sense of confidence that they don't have to go out there and hold the other team to one or two runs. You know, if they give it three or four, uh, you know, say, oh, no, here we go. And, uh, uh, and Boomer there, he can tell you, he pitched for us in San Diego sometimes. And, you know, it, it can get uh, – frustrating when uh, you don't have those runs consistently but you know what it, i will say our staff they they never made any excuses but it is going to make it easier now probably more importantly is that you know forget the offense right now these guys are impact players on defense Longoria, he, i mean this guy's a terrific third baseman and uh, of course mccutcheon he's uh, he's going to give us defense out in the outfield so it's going to improve our defense and that's probably as important because now it's I, i'm telling you you throw out a good outfield out there it could take a point out the era and uh, so these guys have to be excited about the, the defense that we're going to throw out there for them this year well, in thinking about that, and you know what? I didn't think about that. You might have one of the best defensive infields in the National League now. Well, um, I'd like to find a better one. I, to be honest, uh, I mean, uh, Panics won a gold glove. Crawford's won uh, you know, a few gold gloves. Uh, Belt, he's always right up there. He's uh, just a gifted uh, defender at first. Now you got Longoria. So I, I don't know if there's a better infield, to be honest. 
Well, it, it wasn't an accident. Brian Sabium knows what he's doing. You know what he's doing. And uh, b- you know what? Before we go, I got I to bring up one thing, because I think that anybody listening doesn't know about this story unless they're really into the game. And I, I use the term accident. How thankful are you that I'm a good driver? Oh, jeez. Oh, boy. Look him here. Don't think I don't. Oh, boy. Uh, I can't tell how many times I said thank you, Lord, for, for saying I'm not ready for him because if there's ever, ever was a time with my time, it was that accident we had heading back to Yuma on eight, going about 130. And I can say that now. Oh, yeah. You, you didn't want us to say it because you wanted to sue the company um, for bad tires, but. Uh, we had a blowout there, and we did about, I don't know, I counted, I stopped counting at 15, 360s uh, going down the road and uh, burned all the rubber to the rims. And uh, I guess the only reason we didn't flip the Corvette because the center of gravity was so low, but uh, I thought we were done. And I'll never forget, my knuckles were bleeding from holding on to that thing up top. I got out of the car on your side because we slammed against a bush over top of you before you got out. And, I uh, still don't remember that. I, I still, oh, yeah. to this you day. Say, oh, I should have got us out of it, you know, it, you oh. know, like you were Andretti or something. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, guys still talk about Flannery and everybody because they were behind us. And, they, and the only thing they saw was a, a just a poof of smoke. They, they thought the car blew up. They, they couldn't even see it because it was burning so much oh, rubber. Well, well, you're lucky. I mean, with that 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 dome you got, that's that saved you because you got you're a little more top heavy up there. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. But uh, you know, it was between my legs at that point, so I saved it. <laughs> Take care, buddy. Have a great day. Thanks, Thank buddy. You. Our next guest, Zach Zager, senior reporter, Sports Law 360. He's an attorney. He's a journalist. He's in the know, and we're going to talk to him about collusion. What's going on in baseball right now in labor relations between the owners and the Major League Baseball Players Association? Uh, Zach Zagger is on hold. Uh, we're going to get to him in one minute, but I want to make sure that everybody listening uh, knows exactly what's going on in case you've lived in a closet for the last couple of weeks. Players associations threaten to strike in spring training. Well, I shouldn't say that. There's been talk of the players not reporting the spring training on time, uh, which would be in violation of the basic agreement, so I don't think that's going to happen. There's been talk of all the free agents that are out there, and we're talking about 70 to 110 of them, that are going to go to spring training in a neutral site and be coached by guys that were Major League players that now work for the Major League Baseball Players Association, I tell you what, that's a possibility. That's very interesting that they would think of that. We're going to talk to Zach about that, and we're also going to talk to him about the one word that nobody in baseball wants to hear, and that's collusion. Is it going on in the game right now? Zach, I appreciate you being on the show. Zach is an attorney. He's a journalist. I'm going to get right to it and use the word that none of us like to talk about in baseball because I was a part of it in 1985 and 1986, and that's collusion. Do you really think that collusion is going on in baseball right now? Uh, it, that's a hard question to answer. I mean, do, do I think collusion is going on? Um, 
it's tough. What we do know right now is that uh, the free agent market is very slow this this off season. It's uh, slower than it's been in a number of uh, number of recent years. Uh, there's something only only about 50 out of the 160 plus uh, free agents this year have signed contracts, and we're already going into spring training this month. Uh, so it, it has raised the specter that there may be collusion going on. Uh, but I, it, it, when you talk about collusion, it's, it's a very specific thing, and uh, you know whether or not that's going on, um, you know it's going to take it's going to take some time to, to, to sort that out. Well, Scott Boros, the super agent, uh, still has 15 players that are unsigned. Uh, do do you think that this could possibly be aimed at him in particular, or just the free agent market in general? Uh, it, it could possibly be aimed at him. I, I think part of, uh, I mean, that's an interesting issue that they're all, uh, a number of the free agents are with Scott Boris. I mean, it, it could be that he is just, I mean, he's notorious for maximizing the deals for his players. So teams may ju- just be reluctant to uh, sign the players for the types of deals that he's holding out for. Um, I, I mean, that really gets to the issue here. I mean, collusion, it, it requires some kind of agreement between the teams or between the teams in Major League Baseball in which they are agreeing not to sign certain players or, or they're not signing players for certain values. Um, you saw that back in the 1980s, as uh, you just described. There was three cases. It went to an arbitrator. The arbitrator found that there was collusion. Uh, here, though, I mean, there hasn't been any kind of grievance or anything filed. Uh, the players' union has suggested that they may file something, but we don't. We don't know yet. Uh, the issue here is, though, that there are a number of other potential reasons that collusion, or that looks like collusion, is going on, and and those reasons may not rise to the level of actual. Uh, an actual violation of the collective bargaining agreement. Is there anything in particular we should keep an eye on moving forward that would kind of trim the tide for us as far as our thinking is concerned on jumping on one side of the fence or the other on, okay, I really think that collusion's going on or I don't think it is? I think something that you can watch for is the statements that come out from teams in the late uh, if the statements suggest that there was some type of agreement or there's some type of deal between the teams where they're not trying to sign players. So far, we haven't seen any kind of smoking gun evidence like that. Uh, and I think the teams in the league, especially under uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred, are going to be smart to try not to say anything like that. Um, but, I mean, that would be something that I would watch for. Uh, other than that, I mean, it, it, if we can watch for some kind of other type of evidence of that kind of agreement coming out, I'm not sure how that would come out without the players actually filing a grievance and then opening up uh, a discovery. So they would be passing information back and forth and there might be a hearing and evidence put forth. So uh, it may require uh, an actual filing of a a grievance to get to that point. I say this uh, in amazement, to be perfectly honest with you, because one year after signing a a five-year basic agreement, I never once thought that I'd be uh, talking about labor negotiations. But in fact... That's exactly what's going on right now between the Players Association and Major League Baseball. They actually are negotiating as we speak about pitch clock and what are we going to do about this, what are we going to do about that, and in particular, unsigned free agents. Well, I mean, labor issues and these types of negotiations have a long history in baseball, as you know, Um, and I think the last agreement, they were up against a deadline to try to get that done. 
they came to an agreement that they were able to move things forward. Uh, they were able to make an agreement on things like the competitive balance tax, uh, the luxury tax here. But uh, obviously there are a number of issues that are still unresolved and things that I think the, the, the league office and the owners want to see and obviously some things that the players want to see. So it'll be interesting going into the next uh, agreement, which is this one runs through 2021. And so I imagine, you know, there'll be a number of issues uh, being negotiated ahead of that. Zach, a lot of people that are listening weren't around in the 80s when we referenced it a couple of minutes ago. Uh, So can you explain collusion and exactly how much it hurts the game and what it's all about? Yeah, sure. Uh, So collusion, uh, it's a violation of the collective bargaining agreement. Uh, There's a line that says that the players cannot act in concert with one another and that the clubs cannot act in concert with one another. And so uh, that's if they come to some kind of agreement to say not sign a player or to not sign players for certain uh, value contracts, that hurts the game in a way where it's in a sense that players – you know, can't go out on the open market or the free agent market and get the best contract or uh, see their value uh, uh, from from their play in the contract they see. In the 80s, what happened was the team owners actually uh, allegedly came to some kind of agreement behind closed doors during the owners' meetings in which they weren't going to sign players for more than two years or more than three years, depending on what position they played. Later on, uh, it was found that they were sharing information amongst one another about what they were offering each individual free agent. And both those things harm the ability, like I said, for players to go out and get the best deal or the deal that they, you know, would, would garner in an open market. And so uh, that's why people think that there's collusion going on now is because you're not seeing people or you're not seeing the players be signed for the types of contracts that uh, fans and I think a lot of experts would expect these players to, 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 to sign for. Well, this is something that we're definitely going to be keeping an eye on, uh, not only uh, in the next few days and few weeks, but also in the, in the near future, because there's definitely something going on. And I, for one, certainly want to know what it is. I'm, I'm very anxious to find out whether or not it's a mixture of analytics, whether or not it's, uh, uh, it's something to do with uh, a super agent that's really taken the owners to task for the last 15 years and monetized every contract that he possibly could with all of the players that he has signed. You know, I heard a number thrown out that it cost Scott Boros $200,000 to have a player signed in his building. So he has to recoup a lot of money in order to pay for that player to be under the umbrella of Scott Boros and Associates. So that's a huge number. So Scott Boros has to have players signed uh, for a lot of money in order to keep his uh, his business afloat. I, I mean, th- th- that may be true, but he's, he's also an agent. His job is to get the most money for his players. So, I mean, in that sense, if he's able to get a better contract for a player, it, it helps both parties. And I think that's why they signed Scott Boards is to get that kind of um, major contract. And you mentioned the analytics. I think that is a big issue that's going on right now. Uh, like I said, back in the 80s when there was the information sharing, uh, I mean, right now we don't necessarily have information sharing, but all the teams are looking at the same analytics. They're waiting at the same saber metrics and statistics, and they're valuing players similarly. And they're looking at uh, players that are on the market, some of which are in their uh, late 20s, early 30s, 
they're, they're looking at that and they're saying it's not worth signing a player with uh, that, that we're going to expect to have declining production as they head into their mid-30s. So, you know, is all of the teams looking at that same information, the same statistics, is that collusion? That's hard to say, uh, but I would, I would say that it, it leads away from collusion, if you ask me. Sure. And, and I agree with you 100%. Well, we're certainly going to keep an eye on it. Zach, I appreciate you coming on the show. Let's do it again in the future. Uh, have a good day. Yeah, most definitely. Thank you. Okay. Talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. Well, we've all heard the name John Dillinger. Yeah, that one. The bank robber. Did you know he once played professional baseball? And I don't know how he did it, and he brought it to his grave, but he befriended an umpire to help him in his first bank robbery. The umpire got freaked out and drove away while Dillinger was still in the bank. That's the way he got caught. Did nine years for it, and while he was in prison, he became one heck of a baseball player. As a matter of fact, he was denied parole because he was so good. What does that have to do with anything? Because we're talking about criminals. Some people have called a criminal that the MLBPA is ignoring. That's the Major League Baseball Players Alumni Association. Some former players. Are they? We all know Bench, Mays, Barry Bonds. Do you know the names Locklear, Hilton, and Bainey? Probably not. Well, we're going to highlight them today, and we're going to find out what the story is. And to get part of that, we welcome Joe Sheehan. He writes for Sports Illustrated, publishes his own subscription-based newsletter. You can follow him on Twitter and find out everything about the guy, as a matter of fact, because I've been doing it the last couple of days and have, have had fun. He's, he's, he gets in spats with people on Twitter. It's great. At Joe underscore Sheehan. And I've heard a rumor that you started your own digital show. Yeah, I just oh, uh, give us some info I, on that. I, I had uh, done a podcast for years with my former prospectus colleague Randy Gisarelli, and we stopped doing that a few years back. And uh, recently, I started up a podcast again. I kind of did a little test run in the fall, and now I'm doing it uh, for real. It's the Joshi and Podcast. You can get it through iTunes and various other places. I'm recording it through Bumpers which is about to go away. It's about to find another way to record it. But it's, ba- it's mainly baseball, Kurt. Um, I, I don't have baseball in the title. and 99% of it's going to be baseball. But I want the opening to talk about – I'm a big college basketball guy, so I'll probably talk about that a little bit in March or uh, anything Aaron Sorkin does I'll end up talking about. And uh, we'll, we'll do a lot. We'll have a lot of fun with it. Okay, Joe, I mentioned the Lock Leaders, Hiltons, and Babies of the world in my open. Uh, before we start, I'm going to throw my two cents in it, and then your expertise in the labor business is going to overwhelm my knowledge, that's for sure. The situation with the pre-1980 players, and I know we're going back 30-some years, but this is very important because what the collective bargaining agreement was agreed upon between the Players Association and the owners in 1980-1981 time period was that going forward, all players from that day on would automatically be vested after 43 days in the big league. Before that, a player had to accumulate four years at the major league level. I mean, that's all we cared about. When I first started playing, that was our target, was four years. What the Players Association either seemed to forget about or didn't seem to forget about, and that's the reason for 
me asking you about it and us looking into it, I'm sure, on future shows, is did the Players Association turn their back on the pre-1980 players, or was there nothing that they could do at that time because none of the previous players from 1980, from that collective bargaining agreement, that going backwards, was automatically vested after 43 days, like the players are today. I don't. That was a the day negotiation. Of course, the focus there was on free agent compensation and the the owners trying to roll back some of the the free the gains the players have made in free agency. And the, the pension issue at the time, I think, took a back seat to that. Even though the pension issue was essentially how the union was built, you go back even into the the pre Marvin Miller MLBPA days in, in the 40s and 50s, and the pension issue was everything for for the union. It was the identity of the union and getting these players, you know, life benefits. So I do think that there's this is important to the identity of the union. Anytime you have a negotiation, though, where you're trying to say, and we see this in union negotiations all over the place, mostly in cases where they're trying to roll back protection for, uh, for younger workers and keep them for older workers. What MLB here did is, is the opposite, where we said, we're going to make the pension plan better for players going forward, what, the 43 days, as you mentioned. Um, but it does create a line. It creates a bright line in the sand. And, and maybe you don't notice it at the time. Because the people that you're you're talking about aren't old enough, and you know, for players that were you know uh, hadn't played for a while, they didn't really have a voice in negotiations. But now we're 35, 40 years past that, and as you're pointing out here today, there are a lot of players who contributed to the growth of Major League Baseball during a time of incredible growth for the game in the 70s and 80s, or excuse me, in the 1970s, who are cut out of the pension plan. And I think I look at this, Kurt, and I'm going to kind of fall on your side. There's a basic fairness issue. But it's also the kind of thing that can be solved with money. And right now, if MLB and the Players Association can fix any problem easily, it's a money problem. The game is overflowing with money. They're going to be handing over $10 billion in revenue. The current players are only getting about 38 39% of that. Um, you know, we know about the fixed costs. We also know that they've done a great job in ratcheting down the costs associated with acquiring a ma- a- a- amateur talent. Uh, and, of course, they have the BAM tech sale, which is, is bring, going to bring in $1.5 billion to the owners. In this, any problem that can be easily solved with money, and we're not talking about enormous amounts of money here relative to the game's uh, revenues, um, I think that's easily solvable. I think if you can write a check and, and make a problem go away, I don't want to paint these players as a problem. I think you know what I mean by that. But anytime you can solve a problem, fix a situation just by writing a check, I think you should do it. Now, you probably have a better sense of the numbers involved here, how many players are affected, um, the average age, kind of the actuarial information. But I, I honestly believe that even though this was negotiated 30-odd years ago and you say a contract is a contract, I, I, where the game has gone to this point of having $10 billion in revenues and growing, I think if you can fix the problem by writing checks, just go ahead and do it. Which is exactly what the Players Association is doing right now or the owners. I can't get that story, though, yet, but I am going to, and that's why I said, uh, this is going to be a topic for shows down the road because I can't find out any information at all at the same time. It's coming in little bits and pieces. But this is something I believe that is a wrong and it should be righted. The Players Association partially righted it in 2011. Now, I don't know who's taking credit for it, whether it's the owners or whether it's the Players Association. But in 2011, they started writing checks to these guys. But here's the way it went. 
they awarded them 600, some kind of algorithm they came up with. I don't know how. Uh, and again, we'll get the story. But some kind of thing was put together, some kind of chart, where for every 43 days that the player accumulated, now remember, keep in mind, these are all players that had four years or less at the major league level, non-vested major league players, going from 1947 to 1980. They came up with a formula where every 43 days that the player had, you would get $625. I have no idea how they came upon that figure. Only God knows. And it maxes out at $10,000 a year. So in other words, if a player had 430 days in the big leagues, which is approximately two and a half That's years, years. Yeah. Um, he would get a check for $6,250 every year until he dies. Now, that agreement when it was first done, or I should say when the present was first given, because it's not a pension. So when this compensation was first handed out, it was only for a year. For one year, they were going to write these guys a check. That was it. Basically, you know, you're out of our hair, go away. But it's continued. So put a star next to everybody's name that continued this thing, whether it was Tony Clark, uh, the Players Association director now, whether it was Steve Rogers, who's been in this fight, uh, since he was a National League player rep back in the late 70s and early 80s, and now uh, he's a member of the Major League Baseball Players Association front office. So he knows exactly what's going on. So these guys are continuing, and when I say these guys, again, I don't know who would really give credit for. Uh, you know, I've heard the name uh, Foster come in, Dan Foster from the Major League Baseball Players Alumni Association, which... There's a lot of confusion there because people that hear about these two organizations, and I say two organizations because they're completely different. But do you believe in your mind, based on the information that I've given you and what you know, is this a wrong that needs to be righted? And has the Players Association done enough with writing these guys a check? Because I mentioned the name Hilton. In the open, that's Dave Hilton. We get back to him in a minute. Dave Hilton just passed away in September of 2017. His wife, Patty, lives in Phoenix. Dave got his check for the 2017 season. But from this point on, his widow or anybody in his family is not going to get anything. I, I so want to be careful. When the dies, so does the compensation. I want to be careful with right and wrong. Uh, this is a negotiation that happened almost 40 years ago. Three people that, you know, were dealing with a lot of issues. And I think if you're the players, you were looking at it at, again, you weren't trying to screw over the previous players. You were trying to make the plan better for the ones going forward. So I want to be careful about right and wrong. I do think, as I said, um, money can solve this. And, Kurt, I, I, it's hard for me to make a full case here because I don't have data. It's you know, how many players are we talking about? What are their ages? How much is the program for them and their, their, their widows supposed to cost for the next 30 years? And we're talking about, you mentioned 47 to, to 1980. 
uh, you know, and players not covered by that. Let's say you were 26 year old, his career ended in 1979. You know, at this point, you're you know you're 65, 66 years old. You're the youngest member of that class. You're among the youngest members of that class. Um, where how, how many of you are there? Maybe you have a lot. I need data to get fully into this, but just knowing what you're telling mm-hmm. me about the, the payouts that were made, it does sound like this is something that the 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 league, the teams, the players could combine to to form a solution and, and, and get somewhere. Because when you think about it, you look at where the, the pension plan now, plan now is incredibly fully funded. Players who have played in the last 20 to 25 years have not only benefited from the enormous uprun in salaries, but from the fully funded pension plan that's going, that are, that's going to keep them comfortable. Could you make an argument? Could you make an argument that the top end of the players, the, if you ever, if you made $150 million in your career, could those guys say, hey, look, we're going to take X less in our pensions or we're going to you know, forfeit our pensions to fund for this guy? And I want to put it on just those players. But there are a lot of solutions here where older players reaching the end of their lives who just happen to fall on the wrong side of a, negotiation, a negotiated line shouldn't have to be destitute, shouldn't have to struggle. I think there's path, there are paths here where everybody can contribute to making the lives of those players better. Well, I'll tell you the problem that I have with it when I started looking into it. And I appreciate your perspective because I think you're exactly right. I think you need to know the numbers to put this all together. And I tell you what, I think it's pretty interesting for possibly you to look into it. I believe there's about 625 players left uh, at the time in 2011. I believe there were about somewhere between nine and 1,200. Uh, I, I'm getting different numbers. But, you know, that's quite a few players, but then again, uh, it's really not a whole lot of players when you talk about the vast amount of money that's being made uh, in Major League Baseball right now. But the thing that I have a problem with is that I was in the picket line. I went on strike in the early 70s, in the mid-70s, four or five different times, along with a lot of guys that fall into this category. And they were left behind. In a way, in a way they were left behind. So I believe that any players that fell into the first strike era and really set the stage for where the players are today ought to be compensated more. And they really haven't been. They've been compensated, but they haven't been compensated more. And did you know this? This is something that I just found out about. And that's the reason I want to bring it up because I found it fascinating. I couldn't believe it. Do you know that every major league team designates who the four coaches are going to be every year that are going to be on the pension plan? No, I didn't know that. I didn't know that until just a few days ago. I verified it with different teams that they designate the four coaches. And once the designation is made, as long as that coach coaches with that organization – he is on it. So in other words, they can't take a Tim Flannery or a Dave Rigetti, who were both gone from the Giants staff. But let's say a couple of years ago, they can't take them off of the designation, even though they were there for years and years and years and they had plenty of service time and they were just accumulating wasted vesting time where they, there were coaches on the staff that didn't have any major league vesting time that they couldn't take the place of. 
And that, that's the rule that was set forth. I believe that needs to go back in and look at. But I'm glad to hear you say that anything that can be done. So in other words, what you're telling us is that the MLBPA and the major league owners can sit down at any time, most likely uh, during the next collective bargaining agreement, and talk about this and take funds and maybe do things a little differently than they're doing them now. It certainly seems like they, like I say, everybody's going to be a ton of money right now. And uh, I, I think cutting in the people who maybe will say, we're on the wrong side of negotiation, we're part of a different growth era, we're part of a different CBA, uh, I, I, if you can fix it with money, fix it with money. And, of course, you know, this hasn't always been something that MLB has done. I mean, we've, you know, got very rich people who run their teams in a fashion to make themselves more rich. You know, uh, other consequences be, get, be damned. So uh, it is going to be a negotiation, Kurt. But... It does sound to me like it's a relatively small number of people, and in the big picture, it's a relatively small number of money and uh, a small amount of money. Uh, and I'd, I'd like to—I think you're right. I actually—I did not realize there was this line. I'm glad you kind of brought me into this, but I—I uh, I would like to think this is something that can be solved. Well, being that we're talking about labor, you recently tweeted something that I found very fascinating—that baseball is not capitalized not been experiencing labor peace. Instead, it's had a labor war that was won by the owners. Can you explain that? Well, there's this definition of labor peace that's just, well, we don't have a, a work stoppage. And that's certainly one way to look at it. Uh, I think for, for many people, for people who are my friends, and I, think I value their opinions greatly, all they care about is, will there be baseball games tomorrow? And we've seen these last few negotiations not even go to the wire the way they did in you go back to 2002 where there was not a work stoppage, but there was a difficult negotiation. Last few negotiations have been done pretty quickly and pretty quietly. But I think one of the reasons they've been done quickly and quietly is owners have gotten everything they wanted. Uh, after a 25, 30-year period where the players made significant gains, go back to really that 2002 agreement and then certainly every subsequent one, and the owners have gotten significant restrictions on every facet of the labor market. Uh, they've gotten the kind of revenue sharing that dramatically uh, changes the marginal revenue product of players for, for teams in the, in the top markets. All of these things have contributed to uh, a slowing of salary growth, a slowing of the, a drop in the percentage of revenues going to players. And there have also been other losses you know, in terms of you know, players having to give up blood and urine uh, to satisfy a Prove Your Innocence program. So... It's one thing to say there are no there are games being played, so it's peace. It's not peace. That's one side with a boot on the neck of the other side. Well, I think I, I think everybody was afraid after ninety four, ninety five, and that that proved itself out through the peace that we're speaking about uh, over the last twenty years or so. And but I think the next couple of years. We're going to see some hostility between the two sides. We're seeing it right now. And I think the next collective bargaining agreement uh, is going to be something that we haven't seen uh, since back in the early 90s when um, the players walked out uh, and there was no World Series that year and probably cost, uh, cost Tony Gwynn a 400-year uh, batting average season. I don't know what we're going to see. I think it's interesting to consider that we're a CBA coming up at the end of this year. I think the conversation would be different than it might be in two years. Next offseason is going to look a lot different. The top end of the free agent market this year didn't have 
true superstar players. J.D. Martinez coming off a career year, but he's a DH, 30, once he's 30, 31, um, kind of a one-dimensional guy coming off a career year. Arietta and Darvish are pitchers who combined have had like six good years in the major leagues. Uh, next year, you're going to have Bryce Hopper. You're going to have Manny Machado. You might have Clinton Kershaw. Uh, Josh Donaldson, you know, depending on the kind of year he has, could be, up, could be in that class. And you're going to see more money spent. You're going to see the effects of the Dodgers and Yankees having gotten under the luxury tax threshold and reset their penalty structure. So next winter is going to change this conversation. I think the players might look at next winter, see you know, $1.3 billion in contracts handed out, and go, oh, I guess things are back to normal. And that will inform the 2019-20 uh, winter, and it will inform the CBA negotiation that happens after that. So we're still, because we're still two years and two markets from a negotiation, I think we've got to be careful about how much of the frustration of this winter is necessarily going to show up at the bargaining table. The other thing, Kurt, is, and, and you know this as well as anybody, this is not your father's MLBPA. The owners with the complicit media did a very good job of using the PED issue to kind of split the U. Uh, there's, I'm not sure. This is certainly the least uh, uh, together union that you know we see certainly since I've been following baseball in the, early, in the, in the mid-1980s. Uh, that was a big part of it. The other part of it is you know, the money at risk for these guys is a lot higher than it used to be. I don't know. We don't know that this, this group of players can sustain a labor action. They've never had to. The last labor action was 94-95. Nobody's active from that. Not even Bartolo Colon. Uh, and even 2002, you know, the, there are not a whole lot of players who remember 2002 when the players almost went out on strike in August. So I think there are a lot of unknowns here, uh, both in terms of the market and what the players can actually do. And certainly I think there are questions about the leadership the players have had over the last couple of negotiations. So all of that feeds into what we're going to see in 2020 and 2021 against an ownership, frankly, that has done a great job for the last 15 years of holding together and getting what they want. Joe, I think you bring up uh, a very interesting point. I think it's something that uh, we're going to be looking at certainly here uh, just in the, in the next couple of weeks with what's going on uh, with, the, uh, with the free agents that are working out at, down at the IMG facilities in Sarasota, Florida, Bradenton, Florida. Um, it's it sure is a different situation. I mean, we haven't had it in, since the spring of '95 mm-hmm. when they actually had players go to uh, a neutral site and work out. So, Joe, I, I certainly appreciate your insight. I hope we can talk to you again. That's at Joe Sheehan with an underscore after Joe. That's J O E underscore Sheehan S H E E H A N. As good as it gets when it comes to writers and knowledge and labor. I appreciate your time, Joe. Thank you so very, very much. Thanks, Kurt. Take care. I'd like to thank my supporters, Balboa Thrift and Loan, Southern California. Thanks that. Just give them a call. They can help you. They'll help you. LKB Center and iCards. Arrive like an MVP, whether you're going to a meeting, event, or just the airport. Go to one of our social media platforms and click on the iCard link. Download the app, whether you have an iOS phone or an Android phone, and until May 1st, you'll receive 10% off when you enter promo code 30 Kurt. That's right, 30 Kurt. Unlike other ride-sharing companies, iCars has no surge pricing. Had this happen to my son the other night, 11 o'clock, really crowded, really a popular spot. 
they charged them $47. This is another company that I'm not going to mention for about an $8 ride. That's not going to happen with iCars. There's never any unexpected charges. For a big league ride, trust iCars to get you there. To support the show and get future episodes, go to patreon.com slash KurtMavakla. See you next time. It's Dirty Kurt's Dugout. Goodbye, everybody. Life's a fastball belt coming right down the middle. Don't stand there and let it go by. Swing hard and aim for the stand.